0: To the season three finale of Back to the Futures, the official podcast of the Futures Collegiate Baseball League, presented by Change Up. I'm Owen Shadrick, and I'm joined as always by Johnny Maffey. We're calling this our championship special to celebrate the 2021 Futures League champion, Vermont Lake Monsters. It was an incredible run for this team. Congratulations once again to the Lake Monsters on a title.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Congratulations to owner Chris English. Uh, CJ Newts and Dave Skirmerhorn, the whole front office, Paul Stanfeld up there giving us all the stats and info we needed on that 1,000 miles I put on the 2011 Blue Subaru. You guys saw pulling up to Wakona Park and Centennial all week. It was a great week. I said it on the post game show, I'll say it again. Our one and two teams, they're supposed to go to game three. That's what we saw. We saw the two aces going out there. It was 0-0 in the fifth, and then, you know, Mestre gave up a couple unearned. It was an awesome week. It was crazy. You know, the first two games were crazy with offense, and then the the arms came out, and it it was an awesome week, awesome season.
0: Yeah, it was a picture-perfect series with the offenses in games one and two and the pitching matchup, the incredible matchup between Mestre and Harrington in game three. For this championship special, we have three guests from the Lake Monsters joining us, and we start with manager Pete Wilk.
1: Yeah, we're going from Pete Wilk to, of course, we got the MVP on here, Jimmy Evans and Billy Oldham, who came out of the pen. He was a pitcher of the year finalist, as we'll mention. We'll talk about him later. But Coach Wilk, first year, he he was at Georgetown for 20 years, and this is his first year up here. And he's gonna he's gonna give you everything. You gotta listen to this one. I I'm really not gonna, you know, say anything he said because he really said it best. He chooses words carefully, he had a lot of fun, and it was so genuine and authentic, those answers he gave because you know, he, he was a kid too. Once, once the, the Chris Clark struck out the final batter, he was a kid too. And uh, he was competing just as much with his roster turnover and everything. They did a great job up there and that was the loudest game of the year. So that's, that's just as fitting. Like game three was the loudest game of the year uh, over well over 3000 people there. Joe was loving it. Our, our boss, our, the uh, commissioner of the league, everyone was loving it. It was electric.
0: It was electric, and we don't want to spoil any more about this interview, so we're going to get you to our interview. Here is Vermont Lake Monsters manager, Pete Wilk. We are honored to be joined by our next guest here on our championship special. It is co-manager of the year and winning manager of the championship series, Pete Wilk. Coach, how are you today?
2: Doing great. How are you guys doing?
0: We're doing well, and we'll get started with the most obvious question here. Chris Clark kicks. He throws and strikes out the last batter. What was going through your head?
2: if i can drop some uh expletives from my uh from the the verbiage i used i basically said we
1: did it we did it we did it and uh started looking for guys to hug so now it's monday morning you celebrated you got the hugs in did it kick in yet did it sink in yet
2: yeah you know what i think it has um you know, I, I got a ton of texts and, and emails and stuff. And I, th- I think that's helped it kick in and, and just the memories that the whole summer, not just, not just Friday, but the whole summer created. I, I think it has kicked in. Um, but again, I'm back to reality here in Virginia and uh, it doesn't, it doesn't go very far uh, at home. Uh, you know, I still got to be the school bus for my kids and uh, take them and, take care of their lunches and, you know, all that other Mr. Mom stuff that I'm wrapped up in down here. So championship was fantastic, but it's back to reality.
1: So one memory you might have, and we're going to edit this on the Zoom, but have you seen this picture yet? No. No, I haven't seen that. That's awesome. Pretty cool. one.
0: That's an epic Absolutely.
2: Yeah, I think I kind of stiffed uh, Joe. joe as well the commissioner uh i think he tried to shake my hand and all i wanted to do was get these kids that trophy because i really believe it was theirs
1: yeah absolutely you got it to them and so you gave some hugs after you gave the trophy out what how proud are you of these guys you know you talked about adversity you talked about a long summer certainly a long summer like what does that mean that you know these kids won it and these kids did it for everyone yeah i, I mean I, i'm so proud of this group
2: of young men um And there were so many of them. I mean, we just kinda kept flipping that lineup over and over and over and over due to injuries and guys having to go to school. And and it was next man up and they just kept producing. And it was just a phenomenal experience to watch uh, the growth of some of these young men.
1: So back to the game a little bit in the ninth inning, you guys had a three run lead and then all of a sudden the tying run was on second base. Of course, that's just how it had to draw up. The, I guess you, you just wanted the fans to get a little louder when you won, if that was planned out. But uh, Will Hessling came in. Was that a plan to go from Hessling to Clark if things went wrong, or were you just going with what what
2: you had? and what... No, we got him. Um, you know, we, we had them both hot and both ready to go. Hess has been dominant against lefties. We had him earmarked for Thorban, um, who's giving us trouble all year. And <clears throat> unfortunately he hit him. You know, Hess has been phenomenal. But we had them both hot. And I knew I was just gonna I wasn't gonna use Hess against any righties in that situation when I got Chris Clark hot and ready to go. And before we uh attacked that inning, you know, Finch and I had a discussion about let's get them both going. We had to send another catch down to the bullpen. Hey, let's get them both hot. There's no you know, there's no damage, there's no hurt in getting them both ready, even if Billy coasts. But um we had them both ready to go and they both and uh especially Clarky, Clarky stepped up big time.
0: Yeah, I was in that dugout and the intensity in the ninth inning from you coming over to the mic and radioing to the bullpen was it was a sight to see. I tried to get yeah, out of your way as much as like, huh? You were in our dugout. I was right by. I was right behind you talking on that mic. I was like, I'm going to stay away from him. Boy. Oh, I didn't know that. I
2: would have thrown <laughs> your butt out of there if I would known that.
0: That's why I hid. That's why I hid from you. Yeah. <laughs> had to get the final video content? Come on now.
1: That, that part's not on video though, but, but it's good that you like when, when you got Chris Clark throwing 95, you can't just throw a pitcher out there. It's good. you. It's good. You threw the other catcher to the bullpen.
2: Uh, we had to have them both ready, yeah. Um, and it was it was somewhat fitting for Clarky to finish that thing. I mean, he was one of um, I think we had nine guys. I started calling the long haulers. Um, nine guys who showed up on May twenty third um, and were with us the whole way. And Clarky was one of them, so I thought that was a, a pretty apt uh, finish for
0: him. Yeah, and another couple of those guys, one of them, Patrick Harrington, who was the pitcher of the year, and Billy Oldham, who was a finalist for pitcher of the year. Those guys were the rock of your rotation. They were unbelievable all year, and obviously they pitched in game three to help you secure the victory. What was it like having those two at the top of the rotation and to see them have the years they had and finish the way they did?
2: Uh, It's an incredible security blanket. You know, throughout the year, we had basically – we knew we had to win their starts. Because we were we weren't that deep otherwise, so we kind of. It's like having money in the bank with those guys going to the hill for you. But we knew we had to we had to win those starts to do anything, and we did. And those guys were, those guys are, they're legit, and they're they're even better human beings. Both of them are fantastic kids.
1: So, you know, Co- I talked to Coach Fincher after the game. He said the exact same thing. He said we need to win we expect to win Pat Harrington starts is what he, what he said. What is it like to, you know, this is the question asked after every championship in any sport, what's it like to see him not just do well, you know, throughout the year, get the regular season pitcher of the year, but do well under the brightest lights.
2: Well, I'm so proud of the kid. He came to us. I don't know the days run together, but he came to us after we got, boat raced at our place in, in the first game of the China of the championship. And he said, coach, if it rains, I got you on Friday. And I'm like, it always rains in Vermont. All right, well, we'll let's see what happens. We'll see, you know, but we had just gotten our butts handed to us by a really good team. And get, Getty's done a great job with that, that organization and, uh, you know, I wasn't thinking Friday. I was thinking, how are we going to get past these guys down at Wakona? And he came up and and said that to me. And, you know, once we got past, uh, once we built up a lead down in Pittsfield, um, I started hearing some rumbles about, you know, bad weather. And, and I actually, in the seventh inning, I said, I, I told Patty, I said, get over here. He said, "What would you do to start? What would you do prep wise to start on Friday?" He goes, "I'd probably throw a short bullpen right now." And this was literally like in the seventh or eighth inning. We're up by like seven or eight runs. The game's pretty much, barring a collapse, the game's over. So we he had to run out to the bus and get his stuff, get his spikes and glove and all that because obviously he wasn't pitching uh, down at Wakona on, on uh, Wednesday. And we hustled him in and got got his work in with the uh, possibility slash probability that now we are playing on Friday. Boy, am I glad we did that because he was lights out on Friday. He was phenomenal.
0: Yeah, he was indeed phenomenal, and it's no shock that the summer of rain that we had ended with Game Three of the championship being moved because of rain. It, it was yeah. It was- well,
1: without that man, we were in trouble. Yeah, without that, of course, the one the one time we wanted to rain, the one time we want to tarp, you guys want the tarp on the field. Before we return to our championship special, we want to share a message from our friends at 78 Sports. Do you have kids playing baseball or softball? We all know practice time is limited, especially here in New England, not to mention the cost of lessons and cage time can add up quickly. Save yourself time and money by giving your kids what they need to work on their game at home. Our friends at 78 Sports can help you put together the perfect at-home training setup. Whether you want to start small with just a tee and hitting net, or looking to set up a full cage with turf and a pitching machine, they have you covered. The team at 78 sports has designed and installed hundreds of home and commercial sports training facilities. So let them help you plan the perfect setup for your space. Visit the 78 sports website at 78 sports.com. That's S E V E N T Y number eight sports.com. For a limited time, just by mentioning back to the futures, you'll receive a 10% discount off your order. That's S-E-V-E-N-T-Y, number eight, sports.com. Now, back to the season three finale of Back to the Futures. So back to the beginning when it was still raining, when it was also raining, the start of the rainy summer. You guys started off 12 and 17. Not bad, not ideal. When June ended, what was that message to the team before that turnaround?
2: Well, most of our issues were were we were just giving up too many free base runners. Um, we were walking eight, 10 guys a night. And, um, you know, I, I can remember talking to them in Norwich as a pitching staff. And I said, guy, you don't realize how hard it is to hit with a wooden bat. And we're giving these guys too much credit. And I think that was it. And looking back, I think that was an important conversation. And obviously, we picked up, you know, different players that, that boosted our talent level. But I think the pitchers started challenging guys in the zone rather than giving them too much credit and putting them on base. And I, I think that was the basis of the turnaround that and the uh you know, the addition of several new players um in late June, mid-June. But we were we were beating ourselves, we were putting a
1: loaded gun to our
2: head every every night and walking too many guys, and we were beating ourselves and boy, it was maddening.
1: And out of curiosity, was that like a was that like an extra meeting? Was that like a longer meeting, like a sit-down planned meeting, or was that just something that you'd do and talk to you?
2: know what? We were we were actually in a rain delay at Norwich. We didn't know whether we were gonna play or not. You know, Finch and I had we've had ongoing discussions throughout the season, and both of us were had basically reached our boiling point. And he had a number of things that he wanted to say to that staff, and we were under the uh we are undercover, you know, behind the dugout, but undercover in the concourse in Norwich. And and we, we met with him for 10 or 15 minutes and he said his piece and I said mine. We we're basically saying the same thing with different tones and different um, words. But uh, I, I remember finally saying, guys, you have no idea how hard it is to hit with wood and you're not challenging these guys enough in the zone. And I, I really do think that that meeting what Finch said and with what we said, um, kind of hit home.
0: Yeah. I mean, it certainly did look at the July you guys had, you had two separate win streaks, one 14 in a row to set a futures league record one seven in a row right after that you went 23 and two in July. It was an unbelievable run. It vaulted you to first place in the league. How did you guys stay locked in during those streaks, especially after the message that you just told us you sent? And when did you know that the 14 game win streak was as high as it was?
2: (laughs) How did we stop, stay locked in? We, I mean, we kept coming to the yard, uh, win or lose, and, and tried to create a, a light atmosphere. I mean, this, it's a long summer, and if the kids aren't enjoying themselves, they're gonna tune you out. So we, we certainly tried to be the same people, win or lose, the night before, and still tried to make it a game and not a job. So that's kind of how we stayed level headed. Uh, How did we know it was a streak? I I spoke to uh, Paul Stanfield, basically our stats and media guy, because he would deliver stuff to me before every game, and I was just curious. I think once we got to eight or nine, I said, you know what's because he's he's a walking encyclopedia of of Vermont uh, Lake Monsters. He's been there forever. I was just. I was curious and he threw some, you know, Hey, this is the, this is the VLM streak. This is the future streak. And, and once, once it got to me, I sure I shared it with the kids. I thought it was going to be, you know, a a pretty interesting chance at history. And, and we were within reach. I think we were at nine at that point. And yeah, what a magical run. And, And then, you know, it ended and we kept back, you know, we came to the yard the next day and started it all over again. It was,
1: it was, it was really, really fun. Yeah, you guys really didn't step off the gas there in July, and you didn't in August either because you, you were the last team standing at the end. So the results you produced in that regular season, you're in yourself nice little plaque that says co-manager of the year on it. Uh, what does that mean to you being your first summer here in Burlington? <laughs> or up there in Burlington? I mean, we
2: set the damn bar too high. What do, <laughs> Where do we go from here?
1: <laughs> I don't know. I, it
2: was... Uh, that town, those people, um, just a super special experience, and I can't wait to get back up there again, hopefully.
1: Where are you going to keep that trophy all winter? Well, the trophy went to the owner. No, the, the plaques, are Your your manager of the year, your plaque.
2: I, I've got a little man cave that it, it's got a it'll take a central part in my man cave.
1: Perfect.
0: Yeah, that's a perfect spot for it. And we talked about the pitching earlier. Let's go to the offensive side for a minute. And one specific player that we want to talk about is Ethan Anderson. And we talked about the July that you guys had. He had an unbelievable July himself. One player of the month. He had a 17-game hit streak and reached base in all but two games all summer. What was it like having him on your team and you coming into the middle of the season, like you said, and firing in all cylinders?
2: Uh, He's a phenomenal player and person. That was a nice little shot in the arm getting that one in mid-June. That kid shows up and... uh, man, from the first batting practice, we, we knew he was pretty special. You could, you could literally hear the difference in the ball coming off the bat with that kid. You know, it was funny. I mean, our the kids in the dugout, it, it was like, it, they were can't miss at bats, like whatever, whoever was doing whatever, Ethan came up, it was like, we got to watch this because this is going to be pretty cool. And he just kept getting barrel after barrel after barrel after barrel. And, um, Big hits too. Timing of it, you know, not, nothing phase that kid. And he clearly had a you know, terrific time up there this summer.
0: Yeah, he also earned himself his top prospect. So congrats to Ethan on a great summer. And you touched on it earlier and you just touched on it there. We discussed a lot on this podcast with teams, especially down the stretch, about the amount of roster turnover. And it seems like you guys have had it more than anybody else, whether it was guys like Metz and Anderson leaving or guys like Brulette and Pettit showing up to the team late in the season. With that amount of turnover, how do you approach it as a manager? And how do you balance the chemistry in the locker room with the amount of playing time for the guys on the field? I don't think there's a super f-
2: formula for that. I mean, we we were in scramble mode. Hell, for me, it, it felt like for weeks, just I spent more time on my phone than, than I think I, I literally have ever spent I'm trying to find replacements and the right kids. And we're fortunate in that over the years, I've built up a network of buddies that I can go to, you know, I know what I'm going to get out of their players because I know who they are as people and coaches, Tyler Pettit coming out of Trinity, just like Metzi and Shabby and, and Sammy Conti. I knew it was going to be a, you know, a dedicated kid, a good teammate. And he certainly was. And and uh, we don't win that thing without him, even though he was there for like eight days, we had a huge hole behind the plate and I put out, I don't know, probably well over a hundred texts and emails and, um, uh, my buddy down at Trinity answered and said, I got a guy for you. And we couldn't get him on a plane fast enough. It was a ton of work knowing that we were going to lose. Especially those, those three UVA kids were a tremendous loss for us in terms of talent and people and teammates. And we just felt we owed it to the, the organization and the town and, and to do everything we possibly could to uh, I won't say replace them because I'm not sure that they were replaced but we got guys in there that that helped us win a championship it was just a phenomenal experience going with different guys I mean if you think about like we we started at our season with a couple of middle infielders that played very well for us Patty DeSalvo from Georgetown and, and uh, Noah Granite from Princeton Phenomenal seasons out of both of them. They both kind of ran out of gas, got hurt, had some family stuff, had to go home. And then Ruben steps in from UVA, takes that nightly shortstop job for the most part. Does a tremendous job there. And then, you know, we end this season with a kid from Worcester State who did a phenomenal job, Zach Landry, for us. He, he was, uh, you know, so we go from this... Princeton, Georgetown, UVA thing to a local kid from Worcester State who played for one of my first players ever in my uh, coaching career way back in 1990 at at Boston University. Just, I know, unreal. And Zach did a great job, you know, without that bunt against their, their ace, that's not, that's not an easy bunt to get down. And he made two really quality, high quality pressure defensive plays in the championship game. I mean, it, it was actually, I think you can tell a story of our team
1: by the the transitions
2: of our shortstops. I think it's a
1: pretty interesting story. I mean, throughout the cycle of the summer, like you just put it perfectly there from the UVA and Princeton situation to Worcester and Landry laid down that bunt against Mestrey who had a bunch of great off speed. His fastball was, yeah. was up. It was one of the hardest. Uh, the Pittsfield kids said that he was throwing all year. When you look at, you know, the course of your summer career, you've coached in the Cape before you've dealt with roster turnover before, but, but you said this was like the most you've ever spent on your phone. Is that cause you're the, you're the coach, you're, you're the guy in charge or is that just because this was a crazy summer?
2: Well, you know, my, my, uh, I was on the phone a lot up in Alaska too, but that was different. You know, you're trying to, those kids, you kind of had more control over them because the club had the plane tickets and everybody flew to Alaska. So it was like, you you want to go home, really? Well, then you're paying for it.
1: You didn't drive from Virginia to
2: Alaska? I didn't do that. No, but uh, I mean, we kind of had more control over those kids being up in Alaska with the plane tickets. Plus the season was, you know, it's 40, I think it was 44 games instead of 70. The length of the season is the thing that that creates the turnover for a variety of reasons, but, but that's the basis. And when I was on a Cape, I was an assistant, so I was just swinging a fungo and throwing BP. It, that wasn't my, uh, my job to fill the roster there, but I, I felt it was here for, for a number of reasons. And, um, uh, thank God we got it done barely, man. we I mean, I had, I had this, the shallowest bench I think I've ever coached a baseball game with on on Friday night after, uh, you know, Shabby gets hurt down at Wakona on Wednesday and and uh, he went home, I, mean, I think I had two moves I could possibly make with that club, and I just actually, it made it fairly easy game to manage, because I, I didn't have much to do other than manage that bullpen, and you know, with a guy like Finch, he makes that job pretty easy.
1: Yeah, definitely, had the guys hot, you had the guys on the mound, like you said, so back to before the season, I know it was a while ago at this point, we've dug in a lot, but you uh, you're the head coach at georgetown for quite a while and you had a few georgetown kids on these roster that you know andrew bergeron was telling us you know he didn't get to play for you he talked to you a lot and then he never got to play for you so when you're filling up the roster were you like oh i better not have too many of these georgetown kids did you take what you could how did it work with them specifically
2: well you know there's an ncaa rule you can only have four guys per team oh, okay and you filled so that one you out. can't you know you can't stock a lineup of UVA kids and we couldn't have eight UVA guys. There's literally there's an NCAA rule. You have four and that's it. And, you know, there's a comfort level for me with those Georgetown kids because I knew them, I recruited them. It's ironic, the first call I I made once I I was hired was to Pat DeSalvo because I knew who he was as a person, who he was as a player and how he would help me kind of drive the message to a team-based team based clubhouse instead of me 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 and patty did he was phenomenal um he was just himself but he he's just a a dynamic kid that draws others to him and he's he's a selfless kid and once everybody kind of saw you know it wasn't just him but we had some really high quality human beings all summer long that put the team ahead of their their individual interests and and that's always a that's a tight line to walk in the summer because you know you got guys that are trying to get better um, obviously we're trying to make them all better, but we're all stark. We're all trying to win and teach them a team game and, and how to win as a team. And those early guys, the Pat, the DeSalvos, the Granites, when Metsy came up, that, that was a huge addition. All these guys pulling in the same direction. I don't think we had one guy who was happy, you know, if he went three for four, but we lost. I, I, and I think that's a tribute to those kids in that clubhouse.
0: And that's super important in summer ball. You know, we talk about right. there's a yep. team, it, you can be a team of players or you can be, you know, you can be a team and it, it felt yep. like you guys and, and Pittsfield on the other side too, were definitely had yep. that mentality. Yep. And, it's fu- and it's funny that you recruited DeSalvo first, cause he's also a veteran of the futures league. So that had to help. Again, I, um,
2: that's, that was a big reason behind it. I mean, he, like you said, a veteran of the league, but I knew him as a, as a human being too. And I thought that was a critical piece of the puzzle. It's a bummer. He couldn't uh, uh, finish the season on the bottom of that dog pile.
0: Yeah. Certainly an important part of your team this season to start it. And, you know, we talked about how you recruited all these kids to Vermont, but how were you recruited to Vermont? How did you get the job with the Lake Monsters? You know,
2: I'm not sure. I I still, Still don't know that I I know the answer behind that. Chris English, the owner, called me. Um, Tom Tracy, apparently. You know, we've had a number of guys go through Brockton. And when I say we, I mean Georgetown. And they they came back, you know, saying what a great experience they had. And I was always grateful to Tom and to Chris for taking care of my guys. I made sure they, they realized that that we were grateful for that. It was last September or last August after I had left Georgetown. Chris called. Oh, Tom called first to kind of sniff around, and then Chris called to see if I was in, interested in the Brockton job. And just with so much unknown, up in the air, COVID, family, everything way up in the air for me. I just didn't think it was the right time to commit to something like that. And so I, you know, I, I guess I turned it down in, in, a, in a way that didn't tick him off. And then he called me in, early, in uh, I don't know, early, mid-February, uh, out of the blue. Like, I'm, I'm like, why is Chris English calling me on whatever it was, February 10th or whatever. He tells me he bought Burlington. Well, he's in the process of buying Burlington, et cetera, et cetera. And things in my world had changed a little bit. It seemed like things were settling down. You know, Burlington to me, Uh, I had been there. I recognized it as a as a special place, and it is, and you know, an opportunity to provide a family experience on Lake Champlain in a college town with the foundation that the A's had set up there. Uh, I had two kids play with uh, the A's affiliate up there, and just rave about it. Two guys that played for me in Georgetown were drafted by the A's and went through there, and they raved about their experience. All you know, all these. are running through my mind in our conversations with chris about okay this could be a really special place and i went up in april just to kind of see okay what do we need what do we what do we basically what do we need what do we have what do we need to do what we need to do up there and i just fell in love with it i was up there for three days and um, you know this place as i think you guys have seen especially when you were there on friday I think it's going to be a top five summer baseball destination for for college baseball players. Very, very, very few places have what we can offer in terms of facilities, town, location, league, talent, go up and down the, you know, the the boxes that that need to be checked off. But, you know, if you can't go to Chatham or Orleans or Newport, Burlington is a, yeah, I, I think it's a, top five college baseball summer destination for players. And, and we um, were very fortunate to to have an ownership and management team that give us what we need as coaches and as players to have success there. And then the fan base is a whole nother spectacular category. I mean, those guys, you know, they were the same faces, in the stands sitting in the same seats it was wild it was ter- just a tremendous experience not only for you know for for me but for these kids to come out and most of these kids are playing in front of mom dad and girlfriends at, at their college you know these kid these kids are not rolling out of these power 5 programs for the most part playing in front of thousands so, so that was a tremendous experience for these kids. And you could feel it. Like, I I remember I, I made it a point to look at those two Worcester State kids we had. We had Ben Smith and Zach Landry on, on game one of their indoctrination game at Centennial. And, and they were like, you could see in their face, they were like, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. And to have, uh, especially Zach, man, to, I'm so proud of that kid, to have him step up and play in that atmosphere. There's no way that kid has played in front of the type of crowd that, that we get nightly on his, at, on a nightly basis at Centennial. And he stepped up, and that that's a phenomenal story, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, and especially, you know, a lot of these, like, Mass and the, the New Mac schools, like, nobody allowed fans, really, this year.
3: Right. Especially yep. in
1: Massachusetts and up here. So <laughs> going from that and then... You know they were playing some other sort of summer ball i assume you know on a local level and Red. then get injected into that so it's yeah even more like yep it's crazy so uh did your family get to spend the summer with you up there
2: you know was, that's uh thanks for asking they came up
1: after school
2: so they came up for the month of july we you know we had that run in july and of course i'm hearing from from all three so i have a, a wife and two daughters and i'm hearing from all three that you know we won because of them and they were there and you know blah 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 which was which was great you know and then they left our housing was just for the month of July and uh, they went down to my brothers my brother has a house on on Cape Cod and they went down to spend uh, you know the rest of their summer there in theory and we kept winning and um, they surprised me in Worcester which was unreal. Didn't expect to see him. I'm writing, uh, I'm writing some notes up in the dugout about 40 minutes before the game. And I hear my girls giggling and in the dugout running towards me, which was phenomenal. And they, so they surprised me there. And then we got into the finals and, uh, there was no way they were going to miss that. So they, um, they came back up and, uh, the team was, uh, was nice enough to get us a hotel, um, and uh, for them to share in it and in the victory on Friday was tremendously gratifying for me. I, I I think if we had won it without my girls there, I mean, obviously, it still would have been a big thrill. But to have my, my girls see that and experience that, you know, that'll be a lifetime memory for all of us, for sure.
1: Yeah, that's great. And that's great. You know, when you said before the year you envisioned them being up there, you executed that. Uh, did they get to hold the trophy yet? No, I think Chris English has a monopoly
2: on that trophy, man. You know what? I, I don't know if they held it or not. We sure, we sure have a f- nice family picture that'll be the Christmas card for probably the next decade or so <laughs> with, uh, with that trophy. But uh, I honestly don't know if they held it, but
0: then we definitely have a great family picture with that thing. Yeah, there's no doubt that that's the Christmas card. That's that's a given.
2: Yeah, right? <laughs> How can you not?
0: Of course. Seriously. Uh, And last question here, we'll take you back to the beginning one more time. We were there for opening day at Centennial field. And when we asked you about opening day, you said it was outstanding to be there and you were ready for baseball. Now that it's all over and you've reflected, what are your final thoughts on the summer and your first year as manager in Vermont?
2: I couldn't have drawn this thing up. If I, I mean, this is like a Hollywood story for me. This is, and nobody would believe it. Just an incredible experience and mostly made incredible by the people that were involved. I mean, the, the ownership and the management team, our first class up there, and um, the people in that ballpark on a nightly basis, the players that uh, came in and out of that locker room, coaching staff, I was extremely fortunate to have three men that uh, gave up their summers and, and just did a phenomenal job coaching these kids, uh, Matt Fincher, Joe Gamash, and Chris Richard, I, I couldn't have been... More lucky to 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 uh, spend my summer with those guys. where they made it fun. Uh, we worked our cans off, and um, you know it was it was very very special. I, I couldn't have drawn it up any better than it, than it occurred. You really, I mean, if you look at it, it it still at times doesn't feel real because of how special it was, and at times I still got to pinch myself. I mean, I yesterday around two o'clock or something, I sent a text to my buddy. I'm like, I should, I feel like this is weird. I'm not going to the yard right now. And it, it is, it's it's strange after, you know, after three straight months of, you know, you eat lunch and go to the yard. Um, and that was just a phenomenal experience to to be in that atmosphere. We just can't wait to do it again next year. Can't wait to get back up there, but it's going to be a long winter, but I'll be looking at some pictures in the cold nights, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, for sure. It was an unbelievable summer and you guys did an awesome job up there. Congratulations again on winning the 2021 Futures League Championship. And coach, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Oh, thank you guys. I appreciate your support and your interest uh, over the year. And I look forward to seeing you guys next year, I hope. Hey,
1: congrats. Congrats, Pete. Thanks guys. Appreciate you.
0: Thanks again so much to coach Pete Wilk for joining us. He had a lot of great things to say about his roster, the championship. And you, you, like you said, before we even got into the interview, he felt like a kid out there. It was awesome to see him celebrating with the team. Next up is the MVP of the championship series, Jimmy Evans, who was incredible down the stretch for the Lake Monsters. And he talks about winning the award and what it meant to win it as a team.
1: Yeah, it was so cool when Jimmy got there. Obviously the lake monsters are a huge deal. Every, every future team's a huge deal in their areas, but the lake monsters up there, the news was there. The, the cameras were bright, the lights were bright and he showed up. And when he won that award, he had the trophy. There were like five mics up on him. There was a huge light in his face, which would have, that would have annoyed me, but it was awesome. And he, he got his interview. He got his TV time. We, we obviously are giving him as much time as he wants and he needs. And, he showed up he had a great playoffs let alone championship this whole week uh every team talked about it's whoever gets hot lake monsters got hot and that was a huge thanks to jimmy evans
0: yeah big thanks to jimmy evans who signed on july 10th he was another one of those late signings that produced for the lake monsters we're going to get you to that interview so without further ado here's our interview with jimmy evans we're honored to be joined by our next guest on our championship special it's the championship series mvp jimmy evans jimmy how are you today
3: Doing well. Thanks for having me on, guys. Of
0: course, and and real quick, right off the bat, are you living on or off campus at Tufts?
3: I'm living off campus, but I'm currently home in Connecticut.
0: All right. So crucial follow up. Where is that MVP trophy going in your in your uh, dormer apartment? Definitely in my bedroom.
3: Um, gonna have a nice stand for it, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, front and center. All right. Now we'll ask about it. What What were your thoughts going through your head as Chris Clark delivered that final pitch and you guys won the
3: title? Um, I don't really know. It was just a lot of joy and excitement. Um, I had a feeling he was going to strike strike the last guy out. Um, Chris is a big-time strikeout pitcher, obviously, with a lot of velo. Um, we always have a lot of confidence in him. Um, and when he struck the last kid out, we just went crazy and the celebration began.
1: All right, so back to how you got to that Game 3. You had to win an elimination game in Game 2. You lost Game 1 at home. What was that message going into to the game at Wakona Park?
3: Yeah, so obviously losing the first game at home wasn't the best way to start, but um, we knew we were going to bounce back. Um, Coach Will talked to us after that game and said, guys, listen, we're fine. Um, we've been great all year. We went on that huge winning streak. This team can do anything. Uh, we're a special group of guys. There's nothing to worry about. We just got to play our game and go into Pittsfield with a positive attitude and just ready to win.
0: And that clearly paid off as, you know, Tyler Pettit was the one that hit the go-ahead bomb and you guys never looked back and a couple RBIs by yourself helped with that. What was the mentality heading into game three?
3: Game three is just similar to game two. And honestly, the rest of the games we played the rest of the year, we just got to stay nice and loose, re- relaxed, and just go out there and have fun and just play the game we love. Um, and then the rest will take care of itself.
1: Yeah, the rest took care of itself. Again, you had a few more RBIs game three. Two aces took them out and Pat and Isaiah Mestre. And uh, hits were hard to come by those first few innings, let alone the runs. You came in with a clutch single and drove a couple guys in. And then Colby drove someone in right after that. How did that feel, you know, to come through when your team needed you in such a big spot?
3: Yeah, I mean, it it felt awesome, um, obviously, to put us up in that big game. Um, But a lot of credit goes to actually how that started. Uh, You know, Francis Ferguson got on with um, an error and then, Tyler Favreta walked, and then Zach Landry bunted them over. So if that didn't happen, we wouldn't have second and third to begin with. And like you said, there were two aces on the mound. So sometimes small ball and little things like that is the is the way to do it. And then fortunately, I got the two-run single there to put us up 2-0.
0: We just talked about the aces that dueled to start it, but in terms of your guys' pitching, Pat Harrington went five scoreless. Billy Oldham kept it 3 nothing until the ninth. And then all of a sudden, you know, Pittsfield comes back and – Mike travosi drove a line drive in the field for the second out it was it was stressful walk us you know walk us through that inning and what you were going through standing in the field you know just again waiting to be in that dog pile
3: yeah well we we all knew it was not going to be easy you know i don't think any championship comes that easy i think a three nothing win with them scoring or not getting anyone on in the last inning would have been way too easy for it to happen uh so we figured something was going to happen but we were ready for the adversity and and we have confidence in all our Pitchers, all our arms, and it was well managed by Coach Wilk and rest of the staff, and just a fun way to end, end things.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean that that line drive from Gervasi went right out to you, and like Coach Fincher was telling me after the game, like, hey, that falls sometimes, but you were there, you made the catch. I got to go back to this bunt because Coach Willick talked about it, and you were when you were on deck. Did you see the sign at third base?
3: Are you talking did... about Zach Landry bunting? Yeah, yeah, I saw it. So I. I knew it was coming.
1: So you knew you were coming up. You knew at least one guy was going to be in scoring position, at least because there already was a guy. But uh, what did that – the bench was rightfully, you know, pumped up after that bunt, and then you came in. What, what was that inning like? How did you deal with that emotionally?
3: Yeah, well, I was locked in the entire game. Um, Mestre, actually, um, my first two at-bats, he threw me, I think, nine or ten pitches and only one fastball. So that – that entire inning before I even got up, I was just thinking in the dugout, like I might as well sit, change up. I mean, he's been dealing all game and he threw me, I think, nine or 10 changeups out of 11 pitches. And um, I I normally sit fastball and just react to off speed. But in that special case, um, I played the chances there and was like, I think he's going to throw me a changeup. So that first pitch that I hit and that at bat was in fact a changeup. It was honestly a pretty good pitch. It was low and away. But um, I just told myself, I got to stay up the middle here and just drive it back right through him and
1: that's what happened yeah that's exactly what happened it was funny because i was standing in the third base dugout and bill lee was sitting right next to me outside the dugout i don't know if you saw him there before the game but oh yeah it, well, he threw up the first pitch um but he kept he was like announcing the game and he he's obviously hilarious but he kept going throw another off speed throw another off speed because it was working for mestre and until until it wasn't, I guess. But
3: Yeah, I mean, Mestre kept us all balanced the entire game, and he honestly probably threw more off-speed than fastball. So um, I was looking at – I was watching Tyler Favretto, Favretto's at bats and Colby Brulette's as well, like us lefties, um, and he started all of us out with changeup. So I was I was basically sitting change-up on that first pitch, and I got exactly what I wanted.
1: Absolutely. So where were you in that dog pile after the ninth?
3: Um, well, running in from the outfield, I wanted to say hi to my outfielders first. <laughs> we always do like a little celebration, um, after each game, but then I was right on top.
0: (laughs) So the dog pile happens, dust settles a little bit. And then Joe Pellucci all of a sudden is announcing your name. Were you surprised by that? And when he handed you the trophy, or did you know going in?
3: Um, no, I didn't, I didn't really know. Um, but after my second hit that game, um, uh, the the crowd was chanting MVP. So that was was pretty cool. Um, but I didn't actually know that I was going to fully get it or not. Um, but when he announced my name, that was a pretty cool moment for me and my family. Um, it was pretty surreal.
1: Yeah, who who reached out to you first, or who surprising reached out to you that night or this weekend? Any anyone special, or or any old friends or anything?
3: I got a lot of, a lot of text messages. Um, my high school coaches, my AU coaches, um, and my actually my parents um, couldn't make it to the game because they were actually in on vacation in the Dominican Republic. But they were watching live, and they they called me a bunch. My grandparents, you know. All my friends are back home. I got a lot of love and support, and it was, it was awesome to go back to my phone after that and see, like, 80 text messages or whatever I got. Um, so that was a pretty cool moment.
1: Yeah, give them a memorable vacation, I'm sure. Uh, so obviously, you know, everyone on your team was bought in. They cared about the team all year, whether it was the guys from the start or the guys that showed up late, like Tyler Pettit. But on a personal level, this MVP trophy, where do, where does that rank in your – personal career
3: definitely pretty high up there Um, I think anytime you um, you win an MVP award uh, it's got to be at least top three Um, so I, I would say it's definitely up there in my achievements if not the top one
0: yeah and you've talked about him a bunch so far during this interview what did you learn from Pete Wilk and the rest of the coaching staff all throughout the summer
3: yeah, I, I thought the coaching staff of the Lake Monsters are unbelievable. Um, we worked so much on hitting defense, you know, pitching, whatever it may be. But number one with Coach Wilk was just for the from the hitting side of things, just situational hitting, you know, <clears throat> you gotta do the little things right in baseball. I mean, baseball is a, um, a hard enough game as it is. And the game, you can never put yourself above the game, right? Um, like, if, for example, man on second, nobody out we gotta do our job, play the game, get them over to third. So Pete Wilk really stressed situational hitting. And then we talked about Zach response, you know, we just got to set things up um, to help our team succeed. Um, and then another thing he just talked about a lot is just staying relaxed and, you know, having fun, playing stress-free baseball, and just remembering that this is a game that we all started when we were younger and a game that we've come to know and love. Um, and Pete will definitely um, helped us with that. Um, just kept us relaxed and loose, having fun.
1: Yeah, he told us he made sure you guys were having fun because it's such a long summer, and if you're not having fun, then you're kind of wasting the summer, even though you're playing good baseball. He 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 made he, he seemed to make sure you guys enjoy it very well. So it is a quick turnaround, though, after that long summer. Are you ready for school and fall ball?
3: Yeah, I am. It's nice to be home for a little bit. I haven't really been fully home since like February, um, but it's nice to be home, see the family, see all my pets and but I will be going to Tufts in a couple days, so I'm, I'm ready for it. I'm ready for football, ready to get things rolling.
1: Yeah, you'll see guys like De Maria and some other features guys that tore it up this year. So it says in your Tufts bio, you like to try Famous Pizza. You're going to be in Medford soon. Owen and I are going to be living in the city. Should we get some FCBL championship content and do a little pizza
3: stuff? Uh, I would love that. we got to set that up. All right, we'll set that up this fall then. <laughs>
0: We also got to ask real quick about your walk-up song. You know, talk about that. Give the fans a little preview, insight if they don't know what it is.
3: Oh, well, my walk-up song is uh, by Frank Sinatra, "Fly Me to the Moon." Um, I don't know. I'm just a classy guy. I love Frank Sinatra music, and the crowd really seemed to love it. And it became like a whole thing in Burlington. Um, every time I stepped to the plate, um, it was got a lot of love from that.
1: You could hear the faint, like Jupiter and Mars, in the stands as they. The fans would sing it. They would tune it out. It worked out like Shane Victorino almost.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, even like Burlington's awesome. Like we'll get noticed out in downtown. They'll be like, oh, you Jimmy Evans? Like, can you take a picture with me? Like, or just like anyone on the team. And I I became like the Sinatra boy. That's what they called me. They're like, you're the Sinatra kid from uh, Fly Me to the Moon. So that was pretty funny. That is very funny.
0: And it transitions well into our next question and our last question here. What were your first impressions of the league and Vermont overall? And what were your final thoughts on the summer in Burlington?
3: The league, this league is unbelievable. I mean, obviously great competition. Um, you're meeting guys from all over the country. So it was great just to play with players that I've obviously never met before. In terms of Vermont Lake Monsters, I couldn't be happier. Um, obviously, we had an unbelievable season. But the organization itself is uh, very well run. Uh, Chris English, our owner does an amazing job in making making sure that we're at our best for every single game, you know, whether that's with food or buying an extra hitting machine for us um, or helping us out with getting extra bats. Like, he's always um, doing the best he can to make sure we're performing at our best. And then with Burlington, the fans are unbelievable. I and mean, you guys saw the last game. Um, we we get a couple thousand fans almost at every game. Even, like, on a Tuesday night, we'll get a couple, couple thousand, which is unbelievable because – I don't, I feel like you don't get that anywhere else in the futures league. So Burlington um, props to you guys. Cause you're definitely part of our success.
0: Yeah. The crowd was amazing for both games of that championship series and all throughout the playoffs, Jimmy Evans. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been a great interview and congratulations once again on the championship and your championship MVP trophy.
1: Thank you guys. Appreciate it. Hey, congrats, Jimmy. Good luck this year.
3: Thank you. Hey, we better get pizza. Uh-uh.
1: Definitely. We'll text you.
3: Yeah, well, I'm from Connecticut, so I don't know if you know New Haven, the pizza capital of the world. That's what Dave Portner likes to call it, at least. That's what I've heard. <laughs> but I'm definitely down to try anything. you guys give me a place, I'll go with you guys.
0: Be fun. All right, sweet. All right, sweet. Thanks once again to Jimmy Evans for joining us. Obviously, you know, it's it's great to see him win a championship that was so high on offense for those first two games.
1: Yeah, obviously, I mean. It was awesome, and I'm sure they wish game one went differently, but who cares now if if you're them, right? And I'm sure, you know, when when game two was rolling out and it was the fifth, they were like, hey, we need a score for Pat Harrington, and uh, we need a score for Billy Oldham when he comes out of the pen. We're talking to Billy next, and Billy, what a season for him too.
0: Yeah, Billy Oldham, one of the original Vermont Lake Monsters, as Wilk talked about in his interview, one of the guys that's been here from the beginning, his first start was on June 6th. And here he is ch- pitching in game three of the championship out of the bullpen, locking it down. And, you know, him and Harrington have just been incredible all season. He talks about that and so much more. And we want to get you there. So here's our interview with Billy Oldham. Another
1: Eastern kid. <laughs> here we go. Another Eastern good attitude, kid. Let's throw.
0: We are honored to be joined by our next guest here on our championship special. It's Billy Oldham, pitcher for the Vermont Lake Monsters. Billy, thank you so much for joining us.
4: Thanks for having me, guys.
0: And I mean, we got to ask it right off the bat. You guys did it. You know, you grinded all season, 68 games, and
4: you won 2021 championship. How did that feel? Uh, I mean, it felt great to do it with those guys. We talked about a lot, had a lot of turnover throughout the year, but every guy that came in that locker room wanted to win just as much as the next guy. And that really proved that, showed us allowed to win so many games in July and then continue that into August and bring that right to the playoffs. So it was, it was great you brought that right to the playoffs right through the playoffs we'll
1: get to that semifinal matchup in a second but first we got to start with uh game 3 was pushed from Thursday to Friday due to rain what what was the mentality like when
4: did you guys find out how did you guys find that out we were we didn't even know if we were going to end up playing game 2 there was a uh, supposedly going to be a storm in Pittsfield and we were all worried about that so we were checking the weather when we on the way down or on the bus. We're like, okay, it's not gonna ready until 11. We'll get the game in. And then we checked Burlington as we're home. We're like, oh, tomorrow's not looking great. And then right after the game, coach was like, yeah, it's, it's going to be pushed. Does anyone have flights they need to move? And then we were all like, oh no, like is half the team going to be gone by Friday? So he was like, let me know immediately who who's leaving if if we can get you to stay that'd be great and so once once we found that out I got a little nervous I didn't know who was going to stay and who was leaving and then one by one uh on Thursday everyone was texting our group chat got my flight moved I'm ready to go and so that was awesome to see and it was pretty cool
0: yeah that is awesome knowing again that everybody was in and we talked about with that with coach Wilk how you know, you guys were, you guys were a team and you, you definitely all wanted and had the same goal. So did you know that you were pitching in game three, regardless, because if it started Thursday, you would have been the eligible pitcher and Friday, obviously you had the amount of rest days anyway.
4: Yeah. um, So for Thursday, we had a little uh, like team dinner during uh, Brockton and Pittsfields game three. And I went up to coach and was like, Hey, if this goes to a game three, I'm able to pitch. And Fincher said, He goes, you had a good season, man. And I was like, I want to throw if it goes to a game three. And he's like, I will see. I mean, he's like, you had a good year. We could call it that. We don't want to push anything. And I was like, I want to throw if I can. And he's like, I'll talk to Pete, but I'm not sure. And so we don't, I'm not sure if the plan was to let me throw on Thursday. So it was great that it got moved. I was able to get full rest, pretty much full rest and then ready to go.
0: And that game three, you know, Pat Harrington gets the call as a starter and you come out of the bullpen. You both were shoving. What were you told to be ready for pregame? Did you know that you were coming out of the bullpen? Did you expect to come out of the bullpen?
4: Uh, Yeah, we talked about it. Me and Pat went to the field on Thursday as it was raining. We were tossing and we saw a coach there and he told us like, hey, it's going to be, he didn't know yet who was going to start. He said, it's going to be one of you start and the other's going right in next. And he's like, we want to try to get at least three or four out of Pat. And then he said two or three out of me, and then we can get into the bullpen. And so once, right as we we're about to leave, he's like, a, he made me text my coach and make sure at school my coach was okay with me throwing one more time. And my coach said, yeah, go ahead, go win that championship. And so he said, okay, Pat, you're starting, bill you're first out of the pen, be ready for fourth inning. And then Pat was just rolling. So I was in the dugout till like the fourth inning, just hanging out. And then I was like, All right, I guess I'll head down, and start warming up and then Pat just, he was just on fire. And so like, I didn't really need to do much. He set us up perfectly. You were in the dugout? Not yeah, I was in the dugout for the first, cause that's what I always stay in the dugout. And I'm like, I can't change anything for the championship game. So I'm like, I gotta stay in the dugout till it's time. And then I'm gonna go down. So, so coach Willick was getting upset at
1: the walkie talkies in like the ninth inning, but. When you went down to the pen, were you on the walkie-talkies? Were you like, how long are they going to let Pat go? When are they going to go in? Because you know, as a starter, you like to time things up. I'm sure.
4: Yeah, it was it was definitely a little strange because, I mean, I think Pat could have even kept going. Uh So I'm like out there like, I don't are they going to take him out? And then, so I just decided in the bottom of the fourth where we were hitting, I started getting my legs moving, my like band, bands and stuff. And then finally, when he went out for the fifth, I started tossing. Then they said after he came out, after he finished the fifth, they were like, okay, Bill, you're in for the sixth. And then I was, I had like a full inning. So I was, it was enough time. So how do you, do you usually look long toss before I started
1: do anything you couldn't have done in a championship? Cause obviously it's a championship and you'll do anything differently.
4: Yeah. But, uh, um, I usually don't go too far in long toss, but I threw before the game, like 10 minutes before the game in the outfield. So I got, I got at least a little bit of, Got to like 120, and that was enough to get me loose, and then was just waiting around basically till it was my turn. But yeah, it was not nothing too crazy. I was, I was, I was ready to go. So going back even further, the way the
0: Lake Monster rotation was set up for the playoffs, you got the ball in Game One of the semifinals against Worcester after you know your regular season streaks and the second half success, which was just unbelievable. What was the
4: expectation heading into that series? Um, heading into Worcester, we we knew they were a good team and the whole year they had been in the top three i think and just at the end they slipped to fourth and they were battling with westfield so at first we didn't know if we were even going to play them or westfield but once we knew it was them we knew that a game two was going to be a great game at their stadium so we wanted to make sure we took game one and uh in case it went to three so once we when i was i was ready to go for game one and Hopefully, like we said, hopefully you got extended and I could pitch twice. But I was I was in the mindset of maybe this was my last time pitching. So I went out there just to do my best. And, I mean, we put up so many runs that I barely needed, barely was nervous at all. Just once it was the second inning, we're up eight to nothing. I was like, okay, I'm I'm, I'm good. Yeah, you're good. You said, uh, you told
1: me after the game that you had to get that toss in in the second inning when they were doing a pitching change. Um so that was that was funny. And yeah, there's that comfort level when it like it gets to eight, it's probably past the comfort level. <laughs> like yeah, definitely. Yeah. So Eastern obviously had some big games this spring, Eastern Connecticut, that is, for those who don't know, that's where Billy goes. Uh whether well, it was UMass, Dartmouth, Southern Maine, or Cortland late in the year, what that you pitched in. Um, how did this summer maybe prepare you for future matchups? How did and how did like those prepare you for? those big playoff matchups you just played in for the Lake Monsters.
4: Yeah, definitely. This, this spring, we played in a a lot of important games and the most important game I ever pitched in my life. I got to start game three of our conference championship, kind of like we had game three of the futures league. So I didn't start the futures game, but I started our, our college game this year. And that was one of the most, uh, I wasn't even that nervous, but that was one of the most important starts of my life. And so going from that to the summer in the same similar spot, I was like, okay, I've been here before. I, I'm i not as nervous. If coach says I'm starting, I'd be happy. He said I was first out of the pen. I didn't have a problem with that either. So yeah, it definitely helps that uh, just being, being ready for those moments. And now even for next year, if if the pitching lines up in a different way and I do got to come out of the pen for like a later game in the season, I'll be ready for that too. Cause now I've got an experience for that. And it's, it was definitely, definitely helps to, to get not just starts, but bullpen experience and big games in general.
0: Yeah. And at Eastern, there's a numerous amount of players who have played in the futures league this year, including Luke Broadhurst, who you didn't get to face, but did you face any other Eastern Connecticut guys this year?
4: Yeah, I got to face uh, Ryan Bagdasarian, a really good friend of mine on the bees, and then on the unicorns they had uh, they had three hitters and one pitcher from Eastern. I got to face two out of the three hitters. Our captain, he didn't end up playing for most of the year, John note, but uh, I got to face Matt Malcolm and Dean uh, Dean Slavin, and that was I was feeling really good that game, and it ended up getting rained out in the third, so I only got to face some once i think each so you're going back to school and bragging about that right definitely and with the with the championship shirt oh yeah flex that a little bit
1: yeah it's going to be worn every 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 time you get to the locker (laughs) absolutely yeah just keep it in the locker (laughs) yeah hang it up yep um so Towards the summer overall, kind of, uh, what were your goals you wanted to accomplish both like on a personal level and ones you may have talked about with your coaches at school?
4: From a from a pitching perspective, uh, my changeup was very uh, hit or miss in the spring, and I really wanted to get that as like a go-to pitch for me, and throughout the summer, and by the end, it was my best pitch, and that, like a lot, just a lot of reps and a lot of, Experience because in the spring it was, it was a more games like important games at the end when it was kind of coming along. So then early on in the summer, when I could just go out there and throw it, I got to, I got a lot of experience. And then also, I wanted to work on like throwing inside, throwing inside the batters, not being afraid if I hit them, I hit them, but getting in there and making sure like just surprising sometimes if you get an inside fastball, you can sneak one in and it's a great pitch. So I got to work on a lot of that this summer, which is, which helps because then I'll be able to use that for the spring.
0: And you were also a finalist for our pitcher of the year award. The list was, it was quite the list. And you know, you were right on there with, with all those guys. What did it mean to be on there?
4: Oh yeah, that was, that was awesome. I mean, me and Pat, I think we found out on an off day and me, Pat, and a few guys were hanging out we got tagged in a post on Instagram and we're like, Oh, that's awesome. Me and Pat were like, let's go. And then Pat's friend on uh, assumption was also on there and we're like, wow. And I think there was two other guys from Lily's conference on there. I'm like, wow, there's a lot of, a lot of good pictures on here that, that we all know. So it was definitely awesome to be a part of that, uh, that list. Yeah. So what, what did it mean? Obviously it's great. You see your name
1: next to a bunch of other, you know, guys around New England that perform well in the spring and summer, and they're going to do even better next spring. What did it mean? You know, you worked on the changeup, you, you tried to get inside, you tried to pound that inside fastball. Like you said, what did it mean? you know, after working on things and performing so well, just to be on that and and get like some recognition.
4: Yeah, that, that felt great to really know that what I was working on was working. And, and then as a team, we were able to, just win a bunch of games so that that helps gets you on the list if if your team's very good you could be a great pitcher but if your team's not very good sometimes it it's tough to get that recognition so it definitely it was a great feeling knowing that, that the summer was going in the right direction and we just needed to finish it off in the playoffs
1: yeah and transitioning more to what's going on right now uh Owen
4: told me you had to drive up drive to school yesterday or you moved in well, I uh, I actually set it up, and then I came home. I'm gonna spend ah. two more days here, then I'll be then I'll be up there. When does fall ball start for you guys? Our fall starts I think September twelfth. So I have like two weeks, two or three weeks at school um, with no baseball, and then we start right up. Have you pitched this late into August before? I know you
1: had to. You said you had to get a approval from your coach. It is pretty late. So how how are you gonna rest up before
4: fall ball? Yeah, I think uh, I'm definitely. I haven't thrown. And I'm definitely going to shut down for a little. And I'm going to talk to my coach and see what he wants me to do because I've never really had arm issues, thank God. So, uh, like, I'd be okay to throw this fall, but I know a lot of guys shut down after a long summer and a long spring. So I might not pitch in this fall, upcoming fall, but I feel like I could if I had to. So I'll see what my coach has me do. And one more fall ball question. We
1: already talked about the 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 Eastern Warriors guys you faced in the summer, but what about what about last fall, or or if you pitch this fall, you're ready to you're ready to show them your stuff,
4: like Luke and uh and Co. Yeah, definitely. Uh it's time to show Luke what I have because he didn't get to face me. So hopefully, hopefully I can throw a couple change ups to him and. He won't be like, when did you learn this? And everyone else will be like, oh, he learned that this summer, but he, he he hasn't seen that yet. Before we return to the
0: season three finale of Back to the Future's, we want to share a message from our friends at On Demand Storage. Are you tired of living in clutter? Do you need more space around your home or office? Are you sick of visiting your self storage unit? Does your business need a way to securely and conveniently store excess materials? On Demand Storage will pick up your items directly from your location and put them in storage for you. When you want something put back. Give us a call and we can deliver it back right away. We bring convenience to the outdated self-storage process. Visit ondemandstorage.com and submit an inquiry during signup. Mention the Futures League and receive 50% off your storage pickup. Once again, that's on all one word.com. Now back to our championship special here on Back to the Futures. And this summer, you had an excellent pitching staff in Vermont, whether it was Pete Wilk as the head coach or Matt
4: Fincher as the pitching coach. What did you learn from the both of them, and what did you take away from what they taught you? From, from those guys, we learned, uh, we learned about attacking hitters, and the difference between 0-0 and 1-0 is such a big difference. So you want to get ahead and just attack guys. And starting off with the ball just puts batters in a way comfortable at bat, way more comfortable at bat, and it lets them – know in a sense that at some point you're going to have to come back with a fastball. So we learned that at at one point we were walking a lot of guys in Vermont and we kind of turned that around by the, by the mid mid to end of the year. So that was great to see us figure that problem out and, and uh, improve and finish the year strong.
0: Yeah. Coach Wilk talked about the, the amount of free bases and his disappointment with that. So that's great that you guys turned that around. Obviously it worked out. So yeah. And last question here. Final thoughts on your summer in Burlington, Vermont, overall.
4: This summer this summer was awesome. I mean, I didn't know what to expect because it was four hours away from my house, and I wasn't even going with a single teammate from Eastern. and I, I didn't really know anybody on the roster. So coming in, I was, like, interested, excited. My head coach at school told me that Centennial Field's legit, and he's good friends with Wilk, so he knows Wilk, and he knew that, that I would, that he'd be a great coach. And so I was excited going into the summer, but I didn't really know what to expect. So uh turns out it was, it was easily the best summer ever. I mean, we won the whole thing. Burlington's a great city and the fans were awesome. So yeah, I mean, I had the best time ever. That's good to hear. And obviously the championship was
0: well-deserved and it certainly helped to uh, improve that summer for you. And Billy Oldham of the Vermont Lake Monsters. Thank you so much once again for joining us here on our championship special and good luck at Eastern this fall and up this spring.
1: Thank you. Congrats, Billy. Thanks so much to Billy for that. Congratulations to the Lake Monsters again. They, they deserve all the congratulatory they get in this championship special. And thank you guys. I know I say it at the top of every show, but I do mean it. Every like literally like every like comment, share retweet post that's what that's what our job is our job is to promote the league and promote this podcast and promote these guys in the league these owners these managers it, I hope we showed it all summer I know Owen showed it for a couple uh, a couple years there with Matt satilli I hope I did a good job but thank you so much for everything this year
0: yeah as this is our season finale we I also want to thank everybody for tuning in watching and listening as Johnny says off the top of every show from myself to Johnny to Matt before me, it's been an honor to do this podcast and we will be picking it up in the winter, but you know, for now it's, it's time to go enjoy some pumpkin spice lattes and some football and, and we'll put base MLB playoffs as well. It's, it's an exciting time of year. And well, again, we wanted to thank you all. So your much. Order?
1: Pumpkin spice football MLB playoffs. I just thought of the fall and that's okay. okay. That's
0: what it, oh, <laughs> literally no, That was generic fall. I don't like, I don't drink coffee. So.
1: Yeah, and I just wanted to thank Joe Pellucci again for the opportunity this summer. I know you got to do that whenever this podcast started. Thanks to Joe so much. It was great working for him. It was great getting to know him better. You know, from, I, I uh, faced him in the, and yelled at his whole team at, uh, at Hingham High on the mound when we played Weymouth High School. And it was great getting to know him better. And Josh Cummins as well. Uh, and Ben and Colby and Owen, like, guys, Owen got me this job. He uh, He got me this internship. I've known him forever. We were on the same high school team, got the same, graduated at the same time, listened to the same Morgan Wallen and Riley Green music all summer long, and uh, so thanks Owen for that. I mean, crazy opportunities this summer I might not ever get again, and I I owe you a lot for that.
0: Hey, it was my honor, and thank you again for coming along for the ride with me, and thank you from myself too to Joe and shout out to Josh and Colby and Ben for a great job this summer. And that's going to conclude our season three finale of Back to the Futures, the official podcast of the Futures Collegiate Baseball League. We will pick this podcast back up at some point. But for now, tune into to our past episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud and YouTube. Thanks to everyone for tuning in all season long. We'll see everyone soon.